Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Game Night Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us for the podcast that is supporting, growing, and promoting the board gaming hobby and community. Whether you are new to the world that is modern board gaming or a veteran of the art that is rolling dice and playing cards, we can all look forward to the next Game Night. So I'm sure normally I would say welcome back, but I can't tonight because this is the first Game Night Nation podcast. I've probably said it a bunch of times or will in the future. Thank you for joining us. Forever and always in the future, I will be your host, Jordan Nichols, owner, manager, founder of Game Night. If you've randomly stumbled upon this podcast, don't worry. I'm going to probably end up talking way too long about what Game Night is. But before that, we have much more interesting parts of the show coming up. First off, we have our Outside the Box segment. Your, you, the community's opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about all things board gaming. After that is our Inside the Box segment, where we will take an in-depth look at a particularly noteworthy, interesting, and in general awesome game. This episode's Inside the Box will be 51st State. After that is the Under the Table segment, where, as I mentioned, I will discuss all things what, why, and how is game night. And in our last segment, our special guest for this episode will be Mr. Steve O'Brien. You'll hear from him in our roundtable discussion outside the box, and also in the interview segment where we will be discussing in detail what it's like coming into the board game hobby. So hold on to your buds and grip your phones, because here we go. Hey, hey, Jordan. What podcast number is this? Is this number one? This is number one. Are we are we your number one podcast? Number one podcast crew? (laughs) So disturbing. Okay, everybody stop so I can start recording. We're gonna be. We want to play. We want to play Fifty First State, don't we? Yeah. Time for the Outside the Box segment. Join Jordan as he discusses all things board gaming with members of the board game community. What's happening, what's hot, what's not, because we are putting our geek where our mouth is. And this is our first inaugural roundtable discussion, and I'm very, very honored and pleased to have... Uh, my three good friends here from our Friday Night Board Gaming, and I apologize for interrupting Friday Night Board Gaming to record this podcast. But thank you, thank you all for being here. I have with me Kevin Kraft. Hello. Steve O'Brien. Hello. And Michael Dunsmore. Woo! I'm here! Yes, sir, you are. <laughs> so um, first thing I wanted to do was go around the round table, which is not round. Knights of the Square table. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Is that copyrighted? Am I going to get in trouble? Possibly. Oh, yeah. It is a silly place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> let's start with um, Mr. Dunsmore. So how long have you been in gaming, and how did you fall into it? Quickly. 30 seconds. Go. Ah, ah, ah. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've probably been a gamer my whole life. My parents were always had board games around. Nothing crazy, but, you know, Scrabble, Trivial Pursuits. We do that on family holidays and get-togethers. 
But I got serious into board games when I was probably middle school, high school. I got into Magic the Gathering, was a good entrance drug into strategy. Uh, and then from there, you know, moved on to crunchier things. I do everything on the tabletop. I do board gaming. I do strategy games. I do miniatures gaming. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those Warhammer guys, too. So uh, I'm... Okay, what type of games do you prefer and why? And you can give examples. Great question. My favorite games probably fall into two categories. I love, like, deep, long-lasting strategy games. Probably one of my favorites is Avalon Hill's Dune from the 70s. All-time classic. Which I am sad to say we still have not yet played. Yeah, unfortunately. I own two copies. Why haven't we? Uh, and I also like the light, crunchy games that have like a good mechanic done well. I'm a big fan of, for example, cheap-ass games. Did you back the new Dr. Lucky? Yeah, I did. Okay, cool. Another good example, like AG's uh, Love Letter is a gr- another good example of a simple mechanic done well. Have you tried any of the alternate Love Letter versions? Um, only Batman. You did play the Batman. Okay, good. Yeah, that was an awesome game. Because I like the extra mechanic. It's, it's funny. One tiny, tiny, tiny. They added. They added. They added a simple mechanic where all you do is, as you kick people out, you're getting more points. It just speeds the game up. It's right. It's awesome. I only build in gray and black. All right, a couple more questions. Um, in what context do you normally game? Integrated yeah. is a state that you could mention. Um, probably like a lot of gamers, I usually game with my my buddies. My my closest group of friends, like the people sitting around this table. But I've been known to also uh, go to my local game store when I'm jonesing and meet up with people there. And I'm, I'm a usual hangout at the local conventions, too. I, I don't know. I, I get my fix any way I can. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Describe your gamer self in the most ridiculous terms and adjectives as possible. Overly strategic, hyperly critical, bombastic asshole. I can't believe it, folks. He nailed it. He nailed it. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Steve, you're up next. That's a tough act to follow. I do not envy you. <laughs> so, first question. So, the first question is, how long you have you been in gaming, and how did you get into it? So, like most people, uh, you know, you grow up with Scrabble and Risk and Monopoly, you know, table flipping left and right. But uh, <laughs> it's been quite a long time family started growing and it's been a long break but i'd say within the last three or four years it uh sort of picked up again because you're of, welcome because of these guys so it's kind of nice to be able to start and jump back in and see how far things have come from simple games to over the top you know build uh build cities and civilizations and something in space something fantasy you know it's it's pick a, a genre and i have a game based on that and speaking of picking a genre what games do you enjoy and why uh, I'm a big fan of not so much uh, party games, but just games that involve multiple people. So it's more interaction. You know, the more people, the more you have brought to the table, uh, literally. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so certain games, um, for example, Sheriff of Nottingham is always fun because you get to see different ways people, uh, not so much the lying, but like to plan for the long game. So but Also, you get to lie to your friends. And there's cocks. I've, the I've chickens. Enjoyed, chickens. I've, I've enjoyed that... Uh, Thank you for clarifying, Steve. I've enjoyed that aspect as well in terms of playing those types of games in a larger group. You really get to, I guess, dig in, dig into people and kind of learn something about them. Absolutely. And I, I definitely would say I'm the newbie of the group, so almost everything that's played uh, is brand new for the first time. So it's, it's really eye-opening to see, you know, oh, you haven't heard of this game? Oh, everybody has heard about this game. Well, okay. okay. So, so in what context do you normally game? 
so game night has been the first time in a long time when it's been a group of people. So usually it's one-on-one -on -one with a friend or a family member, and you pick a game and you play a game, and something simple, you know, chess or, or anything really. But when you have game night, you have multiple people, which really changes everything. But yeah, I don't know many people who call chess simple. Well, <laughs> simple as in one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, gotcha. <clears throat> so describe your gamer self in the most ridiculous, ludicrous adjectives and descriptive words as possible. Yeah, uh, I got this one, Steve. Steve is our... We might just have to go to Michael for all of these. Steve is our quiet but confident socialite who likes to play the game at face value, but really inside, it's all very deep. Nice. Well, yeah, see. phrasing for that one. Definitely <laughs> phrasing. All right. It's supposed to be shorter and not like a sentence, just like a That's gigantic, what... ridiculous adjective. All right. Kevin. Yeah. So, you're up next. All right. So, the first question was how I got started how, in how, gaming. How did you get into gaming? Well, when I was and... a wee little boy of age of eight, I played Magic the Gathering, and that was uh, pretty much crack for me. So, I played Magic oh, yeah. for a while. Uh, got into, actually, Warhammer was the first... Uh, was the second game I ever played. Didn't really, know it was really? Warhammer. Didn't didn't know anything about it. And then took a long break in uh, college. Actually, a friend introduced me to Dominion, and that's that's what really got me back into the gaming. And then Warhammer and because it 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 re hundreds it and relit the, oh. the it relit the the crack feeling. Oh of yeah, the magic that wasn't gathering. the only thing that got lit in college. <laughs> I'm a good little boy. All right. uh, yeah, it's pretty much just it's been games and games, and then uh, I'm married, so my wife's now into it, so now we have a large collection of games. So what types of games do you prefer and why? And you can give examples. Um, so the my, one of my favorite games is Battlestar Galactica. Uh, got a group of friends that I've played that with a lot, so really crunchy. Nice. Uh, Boring. No, oh, <laughs> Dude. Just because I'm you suck at being Cylon doesn't being, mean you need to I'm hate being dramatic. I've never played the game. Awesome game. Awesome, I hear awesome, it's great. Awesome game. Uh, the whole, there's a whole spy mechanic to it, or traitor mechanic, as people call them, yeah, that, that I absolutely love. And uh, Thank you for the uh, anal retentive correction there, Michael. Yeah. yeah that's my specialty. That. I know. That's why I'm calling it out again. Yeah, so that's that's where uh, that's that's where I like the game is very crunchy. Uh, I guess they would be considered like interpersonal games where you have to call somebody for for their lies. Excellent. Have you played uh, like just throw out a couple other titles like those that you played? Well, Bowser Galacto is the only one that's like that. We have Resistance, which is a much lighter part of your game. Mm -hmm. I play with. Uh, I really want to play Dead of Winter. Have you played that one yet? No, that's that's on my list we'll because to, I just got it. We'll have to get one. that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the crafts would love that. Yeah, I typically game with uh, a group of game night either at my place or obviously here at game night. So perfect. That was the next question. Okay. In yeah. In what so context do you game? I I skip between uh, this group, which is a much crunchier games where we can really get into the strategy, and then at home where I play with family and friends where we go where we go more like resistance, and then we have lighter games where people can get into it and not have to. So think too translation, much. you're the luckiest man in the world. Yes, I did marry my wife. For those, I say we have all for met those. Nicole. <laughs> it's the time for it. Describe yourself in the most ridiculous adjectives and descriptive terms possible. The best, most amazing power gamer ever. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Boom. All right. So, what's everybody been playing? What's what's fun? What's exciting? What's new? What you been playing? I, I got to jump on this one, guys. 
the the new hotness for me that I, oh, I know what you're gonna can say. never play enough of that I'm gonna arm wrestle everyone to make. I was gonna say one, two, three, rebellion. Yeah, Star Wars Rebellion. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh man. It's uh for like serious two players, spend a whole night doing it, boy, it's 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 nice. It really makes you feel Michael like you're in the Star Wars again, universe. Man. <laughs> You got it's really great, you know, when you're when your Mon Mothma just slips in there and uses her diplomacy on you, man, it feels good. No, 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 seriously. It really has this great story aspect where you are recreating or even retelling events in slightly different ways from the original trilogy, but you're still making strategic decisions, you're doing area control, you're uh fleet movement, uh it's super character focused where like you have to use specific characters to do pretty much anything in the game. That's even just like function wise. You want to move a fleet, you have to put your leader where you want to move your fleet. You want to play a mission, you got to use the leader to play a mission. Yeah. You want to react to the opponent's mission, you have to use a player leader to react. So it kind of it kind of escalates where you're getting more leaders over time. It's, oh, it's, it's so good. It's good. I, yeah, so I, I have I haven't seen it yet. How are the models on there? I'm assuming they're what, pretty awesome. What models? They don't have. Oh, models. so the, so it's the the game box comes with dramatic. about 150 uh, little tiny figs that represent troopers. All your little spaceship fighters, X-Wings, Y-Wings, TIE Fighters, your big ships, your Star Destroyers, your Krillian Corvettes. Uh, you got some ATSTs, ATATs, And they're all on pretty small scale because you know, they got 150 of them. they got to fit on the map. But they're really nice. I haven't painted my set yet, but totally on the to-do list. I've also... i gotta, I gotta, got to brag a little bit. I've also pimped my set out a little bit. I took... If any of you guys remember the pre-painted plastic Star Wars minis that went out of print a couple years ago... I had a huge collection of those, so I dug through my collection and found ones for those to match all the characters. So my set has 26 little actual minis for all the characters you it's use, which pre- is pretty awesome. It's pretty epic. I took a picture of our last game and put it up as the banner on uh, Game Night Facebook. So what game are you looking forward to that hasn't come out yet, maybe? Any, anything on the radar? You're like, oh. Uh, I mean, this is pretty close on the radar in that That's I fine. think the Kickstarter is probably going to ship in a two or three weeks here. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to the new reprint 19.5 anniversary of Kill Dr. Lucky. James Ernest, a designer from Cheap Asses, totally like rebuilt the game from the ground up, a simplified board. He's rethought all that. So I'm looking forward to getting back into one of my favorite games and trying to kill an old doctor in his house. So, Steve, same to you. What, uh, what have you been playing? What's hot? So recently, haven't been playing quite a lot. Been uh, a bit busy, but in the past, I've been slowly uh, dipping my toe into X-wing, and you know how that goes, where you start oh, really? with one, and it. You, you know, know, you know, this is not a miniatures podcast. Hey, hey, <laughs> that's a board game ish. Fantasy Flight makes it. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, it's okay. We can, yeah, we and they will buy, slowly buy take all your money, X-wing. twenty dollars at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally will. Um, but it's cool just, you know, to have, and when you play it, it makes much more sense because you have all of these board game pieces. Don't worry, your your kids didn't need a college fund. Yeah, mistakes were made. X-wing. Mistakes were made. Any games coming up or releasing soon you're looking forward to? Not particularly. Do you look for games coming out? You're not even in it? Not really. So even the games that have been out for quite a long time, to me at this point, are still new. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's so much stuff out there that I'm not really looking towards what, what's not even out okay, yet. Okay, great. So. I'm muting you. Moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. that's a great way to be. And frankly, we're all like that. I mean, there's probably you know 20,000 board games out there now, and who has time to play all of them, right? Uh, I've actually been playing a game called No Thanks. It's a very light game. Uh, 
but it's, it has a really cool mechanic of of guessing which cards are no longer in the deck to it's a number game very simple to pick up so it's like i'm able to play with a wide range of people who are very strategic and then also those who basically don't pay attention to the game and everybody gets involved some so, so more way, of a, more of a cool intro game yeah yeah it's like a five five minute game but super fast to pick up uh we actually played it at your game night event over at seven stars uh got mm-hmm. a lot of new people who aren't gamers who they i mean one uh one guy also named kevin was even went over to game castle to pick it up that night he was like this nice. is awesome i like games that are intro games that are getting people into the gaming hobby absolutely so lately one of my intro games has been uh red seven it's a simple game numbered cards different colors but it kind of breaks uh the minds of some of the the new people to the gaming because you like change the rules constantly it's not just like this is the rule if you're winning this rule you're winning it's like well yeah but then now you can change the rules like seven different ways yeah i'm I'm, i played flux which has the same mechanic but flux is a little too complicated so i can't start people out on that Mm -hmm. because you got because they're not gamers their minds haven't been shaped in that way to where they're where they're okay with the rules constantly shifting so i try to go with Mm -hmm. with one or two mechanics starting games no thanks is really simple there's realistically only one mechanic Mm -hmm. to it and it's like stick to this mechanic stick to your strategy and you'll either win or lose but it's it's a fun quick game good recommendation uh anything else you're playing uh no nothing else i'm playing i'm looking forward to looking, a new game to? out of a company called rooster teeth they're doing a new kickstarter for a million dollars but which is rooster teeth that sounds very familiar for some uh reason. they did red versus blue They've done a lot of other stuff. So oh, okay. Red versus Blue, that's the um, the Halo video yes. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, that's funny. Yeah, the Halo, it's been around since we were all in high school. So Yeah, yeah. It's a, I didn't know they're coming out with a game. Yes, yes. Uh, they have a, a web show called Million Dollars, but where they propose a thing of, of there's going to be a million dollars, but some ridiculous thing happens to you, such as like... Whoa, whoa, whoa. No unsolicited promotions. Hey. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> hey, Go hey, I'm it. curious. So, so it's like, I'll give you a million dollars, but every time you step on a crack, it's like, all right, something ridiculous happens to your mother, and she calls you about it every time. So, and she it's runs sim- out of peanut butter every day. Yes, yeah, exactly. I have been very into Yedo, which is a crunchy worker placement, uh, feudal Japan themed. Uh, I really enjoy it because it's got a interesting bidding mechanic where you're kind of locking down different things that can be bid on. But the best part about it is you're gathering up these resources um, to complete missions, so like ninja weapons and blessings from the temple and other things. You're wrong. You're missing the best me- The best part of that card is when I play a card and I go, oh, I slaughtered this person because he called my, my ninja warriors dogs. And it's like the theme of that is so awesome. Well, that's what I'm getting to. Everything you do is completing these missions, and the missions are thematic and they range in difficulty from green to yellow to red to black and it just it just feels like your the theme is matches the gameplay you're you know increasing your influence and the missions you complete are more and more powerful the cool thing i like about it is whenever you're completing a mission normally in games like that you're expending your resources you're spending them and turning them in but in this game you've got them and you keep them so if you have two geisha and the smoke bombs to complete that mission you always have that for the next mission no, no geisha jokes. Okay. Well, I was going to say, on. I wanted to jump in here that, uh, would this perhaps be one of your favorite themes to play games of? 
Yeah, I, I've noticed you seem to have a soft spot for things from the uh, East, as we would say in the colonial world. Absolutely. And and fighting games, too. I really enjoy oh, worker placement, fighting games. I actually, in ridiculous adjective, descriptive words terms, I'm a equal opportunity omnivore gamer. Don't get wrapped up in the rules, want a house rule, everything. Lies. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> So I think to wrap up this segment, we'll just uh, do some shout-outs for other nerdy pursuits, accomplishments, stuff going on. Michael? Well, I mean, the uh, thing coming up for me that I'm pretty excited about is um, the KublaCon gaming convention that happens here in the San Francisco area at the uh, end of May. Absolutely. Everyone go to your Googles and find local cons and check them out. I think, Kevin, you're, you're new to conventions, aren't you? No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, the, the, the hard cut for that was a little too easy to take. Uh, yeah, I've, I've only gone to one gaming convention. I've gone to other conventions, but never in the board gaming. But I'm excited to go to KubelCon. going to mainly just hit up the free play. I was trying to ask you about Dundracon. Oh, Dundracon. Adulticon? We don't talk about Dundracon. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, it's way too easy to do, do this to you. Yeah, Dundracon was fun. Uh... It was a smaller con than most cons I've been to, uh, but it was the free play that I really liked, just going there, me and a bunch of people playing games that I probably would have never played. Right. Dundercon's kind of a, what would we say, Michael? Oh, everything tabletop gaming, miniatures, war games, RPGs, board games, a little yeah. bit of everything, right? Yeah, it's all, all tabletop. I mean, one of the cool things about being in the Bay Area is we are a little spoiled with how broad our community is. So, I mean, we do have, you know four or five local tabletop gaming cons a year just in our local area, which is pretty cool. Yeah, KublaCon is probably the biggest con in the area. I think they usually get about 3,000 attendees, so it's it's pretty serious. Uh, they do mini, a lot of mini gaming. They do miniature painting events. They do sh- tons of board gaming, vendor hall. I mean, it's a serious thing. So, so Steve, family events coming up. You're bringing board games, too? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my favorite thing is from this game night is I like to steal and take all the credit and say, hey, look at this new game I found. <laughs> Here's Splendor. Here's you're, Sheriff you're, Nottingham. You're welcome, sir. So, yeah, it's uh, it's working pretty well. Uh, my favorite so far is whatever you can fit in a small bag, you know, a love letter or, uh, you know, exploding kittens, something sort of simple that you can explain to people. Wedding is coming up, and I'll definitely be bringing something. All right, guys, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you sharing and uh, letting everyone know about what we've been doing at game night and a little bit about ourselves and i'm sure we'll have some of you on later for future round tables some of you will not be on <laughs> thanks jordan this is fun see ya no what's what's oh no i'm, I'm cutting way before this you, what's, uh, you missed your chance to say goodbye oh <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsors has this ever happened to you Hey Kyle, let's play this new awesome sparkly board game I got. Uh-oh, look, it's that guy. No, 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 stop looking, he'll see you. Oh no, he's coming over here. In that situation, you need Johnny Boy Johnson's That Guy Repellent. One spray of That Guy Repellent and that annoying power gamer rules lawyery analysis paralysis just so happens to say the most awkward and offensive things at the wrong time. That guy will be no more. Our new and improved formula even works on those guys and or gals. 
Act now and we'll double your order. As a free gift, you'll also get our wonderful travel size, perfect for those awkward airplane seat buddies on your way to the convention. Speaking of convention, please also check out our Convention Bombs, a must-pack for your next big board game con. Not for internal use or on small animals or children. Always use that cover repellent in a well-ventilated area. Side effects may include nasal discharge, bleeding, an uncontrollable desire to roll dice, and paranoia. Brace yourselves, listeners. Here is the Inside the Box segment. Prepare yourself for the most insightful, scintillating, eloquent game review and analysis presented by some random nerds on the internet. All right, and now we're jumping inside the box, and I have Mr. Michael Dunsmore with me. Hi there. And tonight's box we're jumping into happens to be 51st State by Portal Games, designed by Ignacy Chevicek. And we have the complete master set with us. Woo! I was very happy to jump in on the pre-order on this one. The pre-order came with um, some laser-cut details on the tokens. I think that was the only difference in the um, original version. Yeah, I think so. should be out in stores by the time you guys hear this, um, so go check it out. So, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background fluff of the game? All right, here it is, according to the manufacturer themselves. Your goal is to build a new state in this post-apocalyptic world. Whether you command merciless mutants or brave New Yorkers, your aim is always simple and clear. Conquer new lands, incorporate new regions, and destroy everyone who is of no value. How will you achieve this? It's pretty simple. Many cards in the game will let you gain victory points. Use them as often as you can, because when any player reaches 25 victory points, they will trigger, trigger the endgame sequence. You finish the round and then gain one victory point for each card you have in your state and you add it to your score. And the most important thing, the highest score wins the game. So <clears throat> the box says 14 plus. So I pretty much, that's pretty much like the top end. Uh, they don't really go beyond 14 plus. So it's a pretty heavy game. Um, it takes a lot of reasoning. Um, it takes time. They suggest um, 60 to 90 minutes. That's probably roughly right if you know the game if you're learning mm -hmm. from scratch you probably need some time to learn and i think a four-player game might go beyond that um and it's for one to four players yeah and this game we should mention is part of the Nurashima universe from they have an rpg system originally but it's also some other board games called Nurashima hex and Nurashima convoy um so this one's part of that same universe so the core mechanics for this game it's a card game in general, so you're doing hand management and also drafting at the start, a little bit of drafting. Um, you also gain cards throughout the rest of the turn, so it's not 100% drafting there. Um, it's heavy in resource management, very yeah. heavy in resource management. And the interesting thing I like about the game is you're managing those resources, but really you're spending those resources. You have to build an engine. It's engine building. Absolutely. So you build your engine to gain the resources, but then you also have to have the means to use the resources to me it reminds me a lot of race for the galaxy where you're producing your goods and then consuming them so you have to have things that gain you resources and then you also have the things that you consume the resources and in general you want those to eventually be for victory points uh, allowing you to win the game so michael what do you think of the overall uh, quality of the game and presentation and theme yeah so first of all the theme is pretty darn cool it's post-apocalyptic world 
you know, we've all seen sci-fi, Mad Max, whatever, that it's, it's, it's a good theme. Very much up our alley. Yes, yes. And as for what's inside the box, trademark, is uh, it's good. They've, they've really not wasted anything on the components. Uh, and there's a lot of components. So you have um, four different basic resources that are all 3D woodcut. Um, you have little gas cans, little guns, gears, bricks. Yeah, very um, nice. They look great. You have, you know, pe- people are a resource. You got little people with gas masks on. It also uses a lot of tokens. So you have a whole bunch of chipboard punch tokens that represent all sorts of things in the game. We'll get to those later. But you get, there's probably a hundred of those and a hundred of the I've tokens. I've been impressed with the, the redesign. I mean, originally the game was kind of, I felt, you know, strong in its uh, yep. card layouts and art. And I think they just even brought it up to a whole new level. The player boards are highly detailed. They look really good. Yep, they're they're, uh, they're actually punched out chipboards as opposed to just cardstock, which is nice. They're uh, double-sided with um, female and male art for each faction. Oh, yeah. And the cards themselves, I think, are much more cleanly and intuitively laid out. So while we're talking about the cards, let me just mention the artwork in this. They've done a fantastic job. All the artwork is really evocative surprisingly well done. I mean, there are definitely some beautiful pieces that you just want to stare at as you're playing the game. And there's some some standout favorite cards as well that you oh, yeah. might associate with or, you know, really have a connection to. For sure. Like, uh, huge machinery! <laughs> I thought that might get a chuckle out of you. I just love that name. It's a great card, and uh, I just can't stop saying, huge machinery! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it comes out in that accent, but it does. So, Michael, in your opinion, what makes this game unique or different from other games all right i got this so what i think is great about this game that's why that's why you're on is that uh as we mentioned it's a card-based engine building game and there are some other examples of that but what this one does exceptionally well is every single card in the game doesn't have one use or one way to put in your engine it has three different ways every card can be used three different ways to gain your resources build actions whatever you're doing what i've been impressed with is it's not like you're looking at those three ways, and you're like, oh, that one's terrible, that one's terrible. I'm obviously going to use yeah. this card in this way. That situation does come up sometimes based on your faction abilities. Well, based on it, your own engine, sure. Or your own engine you currently have, but in general, everything is great. Yeah, no, every every option is a useful option. And since your ability to do things are also limited, sometimes you're trying to pick what is going to be best for your you actually can accomplish, even if it's not necessarily the best way to use the card. So anything else that this game does particularly different or better than other games? Well, I really like the fact that this game does have player interaction. It's not just straight engine building like Race for the Galaxy, which is a race. That you do get to use your opponent's resources, sometimes use their cards, and you can also attack some of their cards. Um, So it's nice, plus the drafting mechanics, you are interacting with each other. What about you, Jordan? You got anything you like about it? I think I like that it's not set collecty. That's true. Yeah. It's it's very much a card game. It's very much engine building. You know, there's the drafting elements, there's the player interaction. But then it's it's not too set collection. I mean, there's obviously things that are gonna get a combo with each other. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get a bunch of different gas cards down because then you're gonna have that card that you play that uses the gas for victory points but to me that's an an engine building thing and not some fiddly kind of set collection thing totally yep 
All right, so now we're going to run through the game in a little bit more detail, but I think something very important needs to be mentioned first, and that is that the rule book is a little difficult to read through, and uh, uh, Michael, uh, you seem like you wanted to speak to this. It, it was a similar issue with the original game, and I was very hopeful that they would iron out some yeah, of those issues. but it got worse. Luckily, there's a saving grace. Luckily, Mr. Rodney Smith of Watch It Played did an excellent job um, doing his video, How to Play. Yeah. He covers it step by step. Does a great job. Um, messes up a few things, but maybe we'll... They're pretty minor, though. You they're, can... they're fairly minor. Yeah, I will say, if you're a gamer like me, you're not going to learn the game from reading this rulebook because you're probably not going to be able to get through reading the rulebook without wanting to murder who wrote it. Maybe that's just you, Michael. It, it is, like I said, a gamer like me. <laughs> and And why is this? So... It has two problems. The big problem is that information you need to know is not compact and cohesive. You're jumping from page to page looking for things that rules that go together. So specifically, we made an assumption on a rule where it talked about that rule, and then we played our first game, and then we're like, something didn't feel right, and we found a tiny little sentence two pages later. Actually, three pages. Three pages later that made a clarification right. to the and it messed up everything. Exactly, yeah. And the other problem with the rulebook is... Uh, they tried to make it seem approachable by adding a lot of, like, casual dialogue in, but it just fills up space between the rules, and it doesn't fit the universe. So when when you're reading a game about a crunchy post-apocalypse, and then all of a sudden t someone tells you to hug your neighbor and make so, out so, with them, it's so, kind of weird. So wait, 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 wait. So by dialogue, you mean stupid jokes, actually. Yes. <laughs> like, for example, it says if there's a tie at the end of the game after all the tiebreakers, then, like... Oh, it's okay. Just kiss and make up and enjoy it. Like it, you don't need. It's silly to say that. No, they're they're pretty terrible. All right, moving on. Watch the watch it played video. Yep, do it. Rodney Smith does a good it's job. Great game. Don't let that distract you from playing. The objective of this game is to have the most amazing post-apocalyptic empire and be champion the creation of the new fifty-first state. Absolutely. And how is that done, Michael? Well, it's it's measured by victory points. Victory points, like all Suck. good games. Ah, <laughs> oh, I owned you. Look at all these victory points. Yep. And there's a lot of ways to achieve them, but that's that's what it is. So the game ends at 25 victory points. And what's interesting there is you're generating victory points throughout the game. And you're going to, as soon as someone gains up to 25, then the game ends. And you actually add up additionally every location card counts as a victory point at the end of the game. So you have to be very conscious of who's building the most as well. Yeah, so there's a difference in someone can have the most points to trigger the end of the game, but if they weren't doing a building build, they might still lose from the person who just built a lot of stuff. Setup's pretty simple. So shuffle up all the cards. There's a couple extra small decks to theme the core deck. The core deck is called 51st State. Then there's um, New Era, and the other is Winter. You're actually not supposed to use them together because they are so themed. So you're supposed to use either New Era or New Winter. New Era or Winter, correct. Mixed in with your 51st State core deck. You're going to set out all your tokens, uh, give everybody a player board, either choose or randomize. And there's also there's also special connection card decks, and we'll, we'll talk about those when we get into the gameplay. Those are shuffled and face down. The turn starts out in the exploration phase, also correctly known as the location phase. No, it's not. It's not oh, it's it's the, the lookout phase. Look oh, it's the so in the lookout phase, you're going to flop from the deck um, cards equal to the number of players plus one. Then the first player will have first choice among those cards, and that goes around clockwise. Thank you for specifying, Michael. Clockwise, because 
breaking the fourth wall, my finger went counterclockwise, and that defended you. It did. So there'll be one leftover card that's discarded. Then you flop. Again. Again. Cards equal to players plus one. And then the order of card choosing is reversed from the last player going back up to the first player. So everybody drafted two cards. Then after that, the next phase is the production phase. This is done really well. This is you collect all the resources and things you're going to use for your turn. There's just on your player card, you have some default production symbols. You take all of those. Any cards that are laid out in your production queue of cards, you'll take that stuff. These are location cards that were built on previous turns. Correct. Locations that have a production on them. And there's a special line next to your player board. You put them all in a line, so it's easy to see. And anything that you're going to, going to have dealed will also give you a production. And we'll talk about that when we get to the next phase of the game. But you just go down those lines and take your stuff. So what's cool is the things you're grabbing are the four resource types. Gas, guns, bricks, and iron, I think they call it. We call it gears because they look like gears. Well, yeah, they are little tiny gear tokens. Also people, and then some. always a card, and then what are called contact tokens. And these are the tokens that you use the resources to turn into contact tokens. Then those contact tokens are consumed for your actual resolution of your card, however you're playing that card. There's also a wild resource, the ammunition, which can be spent as any of the four basic resources, fuel, iron, guns, and brick. All right, so after the production phase, you have the action phase. This is the meat of the game. So basically you go around, each player gets to do one action, you take turns. An interesting about the thing about this game is we really noticed that you only end up doing like four entire turns of this game. Yes. This entire game that takes 60 to 90 minutes is only resolved in four individual turns. Yeah. So the whole key is to make your turns as long as possible so that you're creating things, building things, which give you more things to allow you to do more things, and you really need to maximize how much you can do in a turn. Absolutely. That's critical to try to get as many actions as possible. So this list of actions is going to be really long because there's a lot of choice, a lot of decision-making in the order of operations so that you're gaining resources, consuming them, getting extra cards, and doing as much in a single turn as possible. Right. All right, so let me start the list. First thing you can do is construct a location. With this, you discard location contact tokens equal to the location's distance value. We haven't talked about distance value yet, but essentially every card has a distance between one and three, and that's uh, how difficult it is for you to acquire it, which is essentially how many tokens you have to spend. So a three is going to be harder than a one. So translation, it's the card's cost. The next thing you can do is develop a location. This is where you spend one of your brick resources, or a development token if you have one, and you get to change out a location you've already built for another location from your hand. So I'm surprised they covered that already. We'll, we'll probably get back to that later. So um, going back to constructing locations, this is when you play your card face down in your tableau. Face up. You play it down on the board face up. And you're going to place that in three different locations on your tableau. There's a cool thing on your player card where there's different kind of spots for each card. Your locations could be three different types. It's going to be a production location that's going to produce one of the resources, or sometimes multiple resources, or sometimes other things. Sometimes it's contact tokens. Yep. My, one of my favorites is huge machinery. You spend a guy and a gear <laughs> on your production, and it produces three gray you know, building contacts to get you to play more, build more locations. 
So those are production locations. You can also build feature locations. Those are like special bonuses. Yeah, features kind of a catch-all for special kind of things like storing tokens or resources and things like that. And then the last type of location is an action, and that's going to give you access to special actions that no one else will. And often those are converting resources or often creating um, or spending resources for victory points. Yes, actions are you should kind of think of as the end of your engine chain, where the ultimate goal you're trying to be able to do. Correct. This is just a quick note. We mentioned all the cards have three ways to play. So constructing a location is one of those ways. That's the main way the bulk of the card is going to be for constructing a location. The other two um, we mentioned in the production phase, deals, you use the blue contact tokens once you've created them. Normally you're spending gas to create those blue ones, and those you use to create a deal. Again, the cost is equal to the card's range. So the range is the same cost for building the location or making a deal out of it. And the deal is going to add to your production. And making a deal is one of your choices for an action for a turn. Correct. So I think we should talk about spoiling. Yes, the third way you can use your card, and again, another choice for an action, is called raising. And uh, you spend red contact tokens, which is, this is your kind of aggressive one, and you get to either... Raise a card from your hand, which means discard it, or from an opponent's location they've already played, in which case they're going to turn it over and it's going to become a ruin. But either way, the card has on its side a raise um, resources that you earn. And those, again, can be resources or contact tokens. On the card, it calls it spoil. I mean, raise as in destroy. Okay, the, ac- your, yes. the action is called raise. The reward is called spoils. There we go. And either way, this is essentially like a one-time use for that card. You get that now, and then it's discarded and gone from the game. So, Michael, you mentioned raising another opponent's location. So when I do that, I get the spoil from their location card. Yep. They will actually gain the deal. Right. They get a little bonus. They get a little bonus. They've already built it, so they get something back. And then when that location is destroyed, they flip the card over, and it counts as a ruin. Yes. And And we will... Um, get to ruins when we talk about um, developing, but let's move on to when do you want to talk about it? Let's just talk about it now. So developing, again, I I breezed over it quickly. Is when you have a location already in play, and this can be a ruin. This is what you get to do with ruins. You spend a brick, uh, and you get to put another card from your hand into play and discard that location. So you're exchanging them. You're exchanging. You're exchanging a card in play from a card in your hand. And there's a limitation. Uh, all the cards have icons on them that reflect what kind of a building it is. Most of them have two. Some of them have one. Some of them have zero. Um, but there'll be like a, a person symbol to represent a building that produces people or an ammo symbol to represent a building that produces goods, a gas can that produces gas, etc. And so generally you're replacing a... A location with another location of a similar type for your engine. Type or theme. Yeah. And we mentioned ruins. So a ruin is essentially a wild location. You can replace it with anything. Even though I very aggressively raised your location and destroyed it, and you no longer have access to it, I gained a bunch of rewards, but you gained a little bit of reward, and then you can then redevelop it still. And you haven't lost the victory point for constructing that in the first place. In fact, we should mention when you develop a place, you score one victory point immediately. So it's a little bump for switching out a location for another location. So we talked about playing cards a lot, the three ways to play cards using the contact tokens. But how are we we getting the resources to, to perform those? Right. 
So you have some basic actions also that you start with on your player board, and most of them are unique to your faction, but they're all slight variations on each other. So you have some way to get each of the three contact token arrows. So if you need a development arrow, you'll spend a certain amount of gears. If you need a raising arrow contact tokens, you'll spend a certain amount of gun resource. And if you need a deal contact tokens, you'll spend a certain amount of gas can resource. And those will change depending on what your faction's abilities are. Key point there is all the actions are once per turn. So even if you have an amazing card or even amazing player action, you're only going to use that once per turn. And you place your resources on that to show that you've spent it. There are some that are able to use multiple times, making them more powerful. And I think this is really critical to mention because this is the main thing we messed up on our first read-through of the rules is it will tell you you can do as many actions as you want in your turn. They mean you can go around the circle as many times as you want. Correct. Your actual physical actions are limited to one. On the cards and the player boards are limited. Yes. And the last action available to you is very important. You, so you spend two workers... To your people and you can choose to either gain an additional card which is critical for keeping your momentum in a turn or if you're really in a pinch you can spend those two guys for an additional resource of any type guys are not resources those are the four core resources as an also as an action you have the ability to play once per turn a defense token on one of your locations it's very simple it adds one to the distance for raising that place so Normally, lo- uh, I think it's, I think they actually call it defense, not distance, because distance gets confused with the cost of a card. Oh, I'm sorry. So each of the different locations you're playing your card on your player board, production, feature, action, have different defense values. Productions are three, so you need three raised tokens. Features are four, actions are five. So you can add your defense token to up a single card's defense by one, yes. protecting it. And there are other cards in the game that'll give you additional defense tokens, but you get to start your turn with one of those available. I like to gain the token in the production phase, so it's with the rest of my resources, and I remember that it's an action I can take on my turn. And then the last action you have available to you is pass. And that is you ending your turn saying you have no more actions to do, and the other players can still go around and do continue if they have actions. But passing does give you a slight uh, advantage in that no one can raise any of your locations anymore. All your cards are protected. And also, no one can use any of your open production locations, which we totally didn't Glad you mentioned it, because I was thinking about it while you were talking. We failed to mention that there's um, probably a few other little we'll note right now. So there's a thing called open production. So what's cool about open production is it acts just like normal production. So in the production phase, that location will build whatever it builds. But then in the action phase, other players can send their workers placing them on your card to produce at that location and gain the benefit. Yes. So if I build an open production location, one other player, as as an action, can put one worker on my card, they get the benefit, and I get to take an additional worker. So it it helps me because I get additional workers, but also helps them because they got the resource. I really like that because at first you're like, oh, I I don't want everyone else to have access to this awesome location, but it's almost, it's almost the opposite. It's almost... I want to put this valuable location down because I want to gain it myself in the production phase. Right. Only one other player is going to get it, and I'm going to gain an additional worker, allowing me to extend my turn. Correct. So interesting realization. Apparently even the rules summary sheet that's totally detached from the core rule book <laughs> sheet is, has missing things. So It's admitted a few things. We just realized we missed something, another action choice you have. 
and that would be that would be gaining one of the connection cards I mentioned in the setup. So there's very small decks of connection cards, and they are red corresponding to raising, raising, and they are a blue corresponding to dealing, and they will gain you instant contact tokens. So instead of you know gaining guns that you're going to then turn into raising contact tokens, you're just going to pay to gain the card. You pay two workers, and you can either take the blue raising card, or you can take sorry the blue dealing, dealing card, card or the red raising card. Now, interestingly enough, there's only one of each card available each turn. So the first person to take an action to claim one of those gets it, and essentially it's giving them extra stuff to do on their turn. So you pay two workers, but you're going to extend your turn. So the two workers, that is very expensive, because remember, you could have also spent those two workers for an additional card or an additional resource. And something we mentioned, or we failed to mention in the actions phase, that choice can be done any number of times. We said every action is limited, except the spend two workers for a card or resource yes. is not limited. Correct. So that makes the workers um, very combined with the abil- ability to use them for open production. Workers are very va- very valuable. And I think that brings us to the cleanup phase. All right. The cleanup phase is pretty easy but important. Essentially, none of the things you've earned on your turn carry over to the next turn. So you need to spend all your resources. Any unspent resources or unspent contact tokens go away. Uh, also, so does your defense token. If you put it on a, on a location, it will also go away. The ex- so, so by that, you mean everything. Everything. <laughs> the only exception are there are some location cards which will allow you to store things if you've purchased them already. Which can be very powerful if you're using those to combine into locations that you're spending those resources on for victory points. Oh, absolutely. And last is winning. So as we mentioned before, as soon as one person reaches 25 points on the track, that triggers that this turn, this game turn, will be the last game turn. Nothing really happens. You play out the rest of the turn. It's just that after that turn, you total up all your points to determine the winner. Yes, so you look at what you've already scored on the board, and you get to add one for every location card you have in play. So it doesn't matter if it's a production, a feature, or an action. Add up one for each of those, and that'll be your total score. And there's a few tiebreakers. You can look that up in the rule book. I think they're fairly clear and accurate. Yes, and as we mentioned earlier, the final one after three rounds of tiebreaking I is, cannot believe we tied. I am still is, ang- It angry. says you get to kiss and make up, so it actually says that. Interestingly enough, we've played a handful of games now. Really enjoyed them. Yep. And every time... Bar none, the game has ended in four turns. Yeah, even different player accounts, that, too. It's always been, if you're playing well and know what you're doing, it seems that someone's going to reach 25, or most players are going to reach 25 by four turns. So let's, let's think critical about the game real quick here, try to get some uh, hard-handing analysis. Michael, do you think that the gameplay, gameplay fits and complements the theme? Oh, I actually really think it does. Um, not only are... The resources seem very thematic for the sort of things I'd be trying to collect in a post-apocalyptic world. Like, I want gas, I want guns. And it does a really great way of, like, then step two, why did I collect gas and guns? Oh, because I spend them to then go do more things, right? So, and even the mechanic for the cost of the cards being representing the distance away from your settlement it is. I was going to bring that up. It's pretty great. It's, It's a simple little thing. They call it distance. And it just cues into the theme. It's my, this location is distant. And it's going to take resources to go find it and you use it 
Yeah, they know they've done a really good job. Um, it does feel like you are scavenging resources to build up an engine, some a settlement, something bigger than what you started with. And I really enjoy the solid connections of the card art and name relative to the rewards. Even in the context of the three ways you play it, mm-hmm. you know the name of the card and how it functions is going to, you know, they keep it consistent with the deal reward, the location benefits, and the spoil benefits. Yep. So that being said, Michael, how is the overall user experience for the individual and, I think importantly, the group? This game is a game about decision-making and choices. So as an individual player, I am extremely engaged in that I'm constantly trying to analyze... Constantly. Constantly trying to analyze what is not only my best action to take right now, but what order am I taking actions to maximize everything constantly. in the future? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brain burner. But the interesting thing is, as a group experience, you do still also have enough interaction with other players. It's not personally a solo adventure of maximizing your own things. I think that's very true, especially thinking back to our our very last game. I could have avoided a tie had I been paying more. I was paying attention to you, but had I been more paying attention, I would have known. It would have answered a question I had in my own head was, which which way am I playing this card? I would have, of course, you don't have the time because you're constantly... You know, (laughs) thinking about these options. So, absolutely. Yes. You do interact even directly with other players in the drafting phase. You know, I might take a card because I don't want you to get it. Or, and then again, when you have the option to raise other people's locations, sometimes I'm going to be raising it because I want the spoil reward. But other Mm -hmm. time, I'm just like, that's a critical part of his engine and I need to take it away from him. Also, in terms of using other people's open productions or choosing to make an open production. And even when you're playing your defense tokens. Oh, yes, that's true. So I think that uh, ties into my final question really well. Player engagement and downtime. So the answer is, in theory, there is downtime because you go around in a circle, each player taking one action. In practicality, what you're doing in that downtime is analyzing everything. So you're Constantly. Exactly. So it doesn't feel like you have a lot of downtime because your brain is burning to look at all the cards in your hand, all the cards in play. Constantly. Counting up everything, making sure you're going to do the best you can when, you're, when your turn comes around. That being said, this game is probably not for everyone. So, Michael, now it's time for the patented Game Night P-Cubed. Dun, 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 dun. P-Cubed. So why would someone want to play their friend's copy of this game well why you'd want to play this is if you like games with a little crunch you like having to analyze you like decision making um you're gonna dig this for sure just on a gameplay mechanic um one of the things that first turned me on to and i think probably you too jordan is the theme too oh so, i am very turned on by it so if you like post-apocalyptic uh sci-fi dark future i mean you're gonna you're gonna dig it just for that reason also so I think there's a lot of value to this game as long as you're willing to play a game that is a serious uh, investment in your brain power. That being said, if members of your gaming group have the tendency for analysis paralysis, this might be not the game for them? Yeah, I, I think that's that's totally fair. You, As Jordan mentioned, like, in our last game, constantly, even, even as he was paying attention, he still made a critical mistake that cost him the one point for not for a victory, and that's going to happen. You, no matter how well you're analyzing, 
there's enough variables that stuff's going to go wrong. Because that's going to happen five times during the game, and yeah. you don't want that person who's going to obsess over making sure that never happens, because it's going to happen yeah. every single turn, yeah. multiple times, and this is going to drag the game on. Totally true. So I, I, if, if you're an analysis paralysis player, have them in your group, not the game to pull off the shelf. Also, we mentioned that they put the 14 plus age on it. I think that's fair. There's a good amount of reading and there's a lot of strategic analysis. So young ones, this might not be the one. I mean, I shouldn't say might not be. Don't pull this out with the family. Absolutely not. (laughs) I mean, I think for me, I just love the the choice. I mean, there's just so much choice in the card. The three ways to play the game. To me, it's just very rewarding to to think about the different benefits and then to finally, finally key in on that like oh that's the that's the link that's the connection i needed to squeeze out one more action one more card that's going to keep me going to me i it's like rewarding at every step of the game in in that regard so that's why you want to play why would someone want to purchase the second p why would someone want to purchase this game and actually own it in their collection instead of just playing someone's copy all right well this is the category i fall into i love this game so I'm sold because I really enjoy the fact that I build up to something that I made all the decisions along the way to get to. That I don't feel like this is a random experience. I feel like I'm in control of building the settlement, the engine that is going to score me the points at the end of the game. I never thought about that. That was like you just ignited a huge light bulb in my brain. Everything you do is your decision. Yeah. There's... I mean, of course, there's luck of drawing the card, but even the luck of drawing the card is mitigated by the fact that you can play the card three different ways. Totally. So very much so, yeah, you are the master of your own domain. Yeah. You are responsible for your choices, and you will live or die by your logic and reasoning and finding those little connections to you know, make the game work for you. I absolutely love that. That's probably my number one reason. Uh, I'm going to follow that up. That has a couple other mechanics that I just love, Number one is variable player powers. There's six different factions that, that even with subtle changes, change how you're going to play the game dramatically. Uh, adds a lot of replayability. That's a big check in the purchase this game category. Absolutely. I, I like that those don't don't hamstring you, don't shoehorn you. It's that's Not too much. That's a bonus, but then depending, you absolutely have to react to the flops, what cards you draw, and you know how you're going to maximize that. It's not like, oh, I'm the, I'm the Merchant's Guild. It's just going to be gas, gas, gas. I'm going to deal, deal, deal. Because if I just gas and deal all day, if I don't get the victory point cards that are going to allow me to turn that gas into victory points, I'm out. And if I don't do anything besides dealing, I'm going to have a bunch of resources I can't use, and I'm out. Yeah. And I want to point out the other thing that I really love about this game is that it uses the drafting mechanic so beautifully to do your hand management. Because I love drafting, but... I also love drafting when it's done appropriately. And this is appropriate because, again, we said every part of the game, you get to make the decision. And so that's critical. I'm not drawing blind cards and then having to roll with it. I lo- I'm I, drafting I, the card I want. And I love that it's open. It, it makes it go faster. I'm not yeah. looking at it and then passing. They're flopped on the table. Everyone's looking at it. And you're kind of reading your opponent, too, oh, trying totally. to figure out what kind of build they're going for, which will cue into what you know, you're not seeing from them behind the scenes. Yes, and I think for me, it hits a, an awesome weight class. It's very, very brainy, very strategic and crunchy, but it's, it's under a two-hour game. Yeah, actually, that's a genius point. So when you and I 
going to sit down and play a two-player game. We both know how to play. We're Espe- gonna, yeah, especially if it's two-player. We're going to play this in an hour. And that's great to have a super crunchy experience that comes in in an hour. It was true of the original. It was a simple card game, but it was crunchy enough that it was a very enjoyable two-player experience. I do enjoy absolutely this game with three. I don't know if four is really bringing anything extra. But it, it also doesn't take away anything. No, and the one thing I think it would add, Michael, is more choices on the draft. Yeah. Which could potentially, you know, lead towards stronger builds. Uh, I mean, it has more choices all over. More open locations, more things to raise. Absolutely. I mean. So that was two Ps, play and purchase. So the third P is pass. Why would someone just want to pass on this game in general? I mean, we, we covered a, a few things here, um, you know, analysis paralysis or um, younger players. Yeah, I think that's critical. Know the people you're going to play the game with. This game works beautifully with two players. So even if you just have one other friend who likes serious decision-making, you're set. But, of course, if you have a group that likes it, that much better. But if you only play, you know, with your family, with your grandma and your 8-year-old, you're going to pass. I think maybe also if you're actually totally not into the theme. I mean, Michael and I are 100% bought into the theme. But if you've been, for whatever reason, don't like the theme or have been playing post-apocalyptic RPGs and movies and video games and you're just like, I can't take it anymore, then... It's very theme integrated, and it could be a point that you were like, ah, uh, you know, I'm gonna look. I'm, I would prefer another similar game and not this one. That's true. As much as I wouldn't, there's nothing explicitly adult about this. There's not really explicit sex violence or anything. It is definitely dark and gritty in its take on this universe. So, uh, you know, if you're the person who likes happy fantasy and that's your your role, well, it's not that. Or sci-fi, play, race for the galaxy. Similar, but I would I would actually like to make a quick little correlation because there's some similar things to me specifically in the um, producing and consuming aspect. Sure, sure, absolutely. I haven't played a lot of games like that. But I think just in terms of, like I said, with weight, this one's much more involved and engaging and heavier weight than a game like Race for the Galaxy. I feel like Race is much more dependent on the lucky card draws, the set collection aspect of it, like... I have to have these specific set things or someone's just going to blow me out of the water. That's definitely not true of this game. Yeah, actually, race is a great comparison, but the two things, I think we've already talked about them, but just point out again that make this different from that is, one, you control everything. You're You're rarely doing blind drawing. And two, player interaction. Race has very little. You're mostly just racing to be the first one to win. It's in the name. This is not the case. You do actually interact and directly with your other players. So, Michael, any final wrap-ups, um, personal opinions, final thoughts? Well, I think it's pretty clear from how I've been talking about this that I, I really enjoy this game. Um, so, for me, I'm in the purchase category. That's my P. But, yeah, if you like strategy and present it in an accessible way because it's basically a card game, this is it's a great game. I love it. What about you? Um, I think for me, the, the final takeaway I want to leave people with is I absolutely love the theme. I feel like it oozes it throughout. The, the component quality is amazing. And for me, the best part about it, you know, from the purchase side, I see this as on my shelf and getting regular play because it hits all the things I, I like, the resource management. It still has the player interaction. It's a, you know, a heavyweight game but it's not too heavy where you don't have the time to invest in it in a game night. You're still going to bust it out on your game nights, but you're not going to play it every time. But when you come back to it, you're going to because it's it's rewarding. 
it's empowering, it's satisfying, and all around uh, a great game. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Michael. That is inside the box of 51st State. Final crazy thing that jumped into my brain. I've heard that Imperial Settlers, also by Portal Games, has many similar um, game mechanics. And if you know this theme or some of the details don't appeal to you, um, that one might be something to check out as an alternate. Hello, listeners. It's me again, the announcer. Announcer guy, what are you doing? I'm just still talking because I have the voice for it. What is this boring board game stuff? Is that why they call it a board game? Because I'm so bored? Why don't you leave the jokes to me? Sorry, I just thought maybe we could talk about sports or something like the Sharks. Or maybe you should do a podcast about sports. I think more people would be into that. Okay, that's it. Get out. I'm not buying you lunch anymore. You know, I saw you on the street and I offered to buy you lunch if you did this for me. I'm a seasoned veteran. Wait till you get my bill. It's that time you've all been waiting for. Take a deep breath because in this segment we are diving under the table with Jordan, where he pontificates about random nonsense. So for tonight, I wanted to take a minute to, as it's the first episode, introduce myself, uh, talk a little bit about what, why, and how is Game Night, and what you can expect from both this podcast and the Game Night Board Game Lounge. So what is Game Night? I've been calling Game Night a board gaming lounge. Lounge was the key word there for me to decide on, because a lot of establishments have done just, well, the game store, um, which, in my opinion, leaves a lot to be desired in terms of quality and comfort and community. And there's the cafes, but they're not really focused on the games they're, or restaurants or bars. If you put games on top of any one of those kinds of places, it's just a context around what they're really selling you. The whole idea with game night is I don't want to sell you a board game. I don't want to sell you coffee. I don't want to sell you beer. I want to sell you an amazing experience. Game night is an entertainment company. I want to be the service industry that doesn't exist in the board game community right now. I want to bring board games to a whole new level. And my focus is comfort quality, and community. Comfort and quality are kind of hand in hand. What that comes down to is a space to play that's inviting, relaxing, and conducive to enjoyable gaming. That means comfy chairs, quality tables, custom board game tables, which look amazing access to an extensive library of board games, all hand-picked from the latest and greatest. We will constantly be refreshing our library with newer titles. Our games will have upgraded components from third-party companies. We're going to have reinforced tokens, sleeved cards, card deck holders, everything I can bring to the board game itself to make it 
more quality and a better experience. And a big part of that is going to be painted figures for games that have miniatures. And the last part of that is community. Probably the biggest aspect of why I'm starting Game Night. Right now, the context of playing games, your only options are to either have an existing board gaming group that either meets regularly or semi-regularly or completely unregularly in someone's house, or you're doing that same thing at a local game store, or you're attending meetup groups who don't have a space and who are either getting their games in at a library or at a restaurant. So at its heart, I wanted to create Game Night as a place for the community, the board gaming community, to call their home. Somewhere that you always knew you could get a game. Somewhere that was running events and doing the extra effort to connect people and facilitate connecting the gamers to the industry itself and each other. So what's that mean, Jordan? What's your selling points? Well, it's a space to play, a comfortable space to play, access to board games, because if you don't know, board games are getting more and more broad, more and more expensive, and there's a ton of them now. How do you sort through all this stuff? And lastly is access to quality. My three cuz are comfort, quality, and community. I didn't really explain the quality aspect. From that standpoint, I mean having access to a comfortable and inviting space to play in, board games that have upgraded third-party components that also have painted figures when able, and even additional upgrades of my own design. Comfort and quality also ties into our furnishings. We're going to have nice tables, comfortable chairs, and custom board game tables. And tying all that back in through the community that I was just talking about, I really want to give board gamers the ability to meet up with other gamers, create new board gaming groups, merge board gaming groups, be able to pick up open games. If you're just going to stop in and find a game, doesn't necessarily have to be with your group or someone else's group, just show up and find a game. I want players to be able to host their own game highlights or promotions. I don't know what to call them. I've been calling them contests of champions. But the concept is player would host a certain game on a certain night. And we would put that out there to the community and people would show up. They would bring extra copies of that game. And it would be like a, a series of that game played over six weeks and a certain time slot. The idea there being, I was initially thinking something like a, a six-week or maybe just a one-month run, where initially you're teaching the game to newcomers practicing, then you're regularly playing the game with a larger group, and then at the very end of that series, the last couple nights would be the tournament where everyone competes in a mini tournament of that game. Beyond just connecting gamers with each other, I'm very excited and feel like Game Night is in a unique position to be able to connect with publishers and designers, having publisher promotional days where they can bring in perhaps a new game that they're about to release that people can test play and see if they like before they purchase. Or maybe a designer has a Kickstarter they're launching and they're demoing their Kickstarter while it's live on kickstarter.com and you can try the game out and then go back that Kickstarter. I definitely want to run regular tournaments. I want to run um, test play protospiel events similar to the San Jose protospiel run by Jeremy Commander 
and many additional events. I got lots of ideas. I'm really excited for everything I can bring to the community to really get everybody engaged in board games. So, so why all of this? It's because I firmly believe that board games are special. They have something unique. They have the power to bring people together in the context of a shared experience. I think that statement has a lot of power because something cool about board games is they're incredibly open and inviting, especially with how much variety and theme there is to board gaming now. Personally, they've been a very great way to meet new people and maintain connections and friendships. It gives you an excuse to get together. It gives you context in which to, as I said, have a shared experience. And in that context, you're talking and learning about the other person, both before the game, during the game, and after the game. I think the greatest thing is it gives people a reason to hang out instead of just sitting at home and, oh, you know what, I'm just going to pop in a movie or load up the Netflix. The idea is I think board games are so great because they give a reason for you to go to someone's house, to come to game night, to put yourself out there and socialize with people. And the context of a game gives you an activity with which to frame the social interactions around. That's what I'm excited to bring to the community with game night. So let's talk a little bit about the nitty gritty, the how of game night. For game night, I plan to have a small space initially. I'm looking at 1,500 square feet of space. That's enough for nine square four-player tables and four to five custom board game tables. From a business model standpoint, you can think of game night as a gym for board gamers. That's the line I've been using. So by that, I mean it's a pay per night. I am taking on the expense of the rental space, the library of games, all the upgrades and painted figures, the power, the lights, the water, the insurance, the property tax, and I could go on and on, but the bottom line is all those costs are going to be spread across the community. And what I'm going to provide is the value to everyone at a discount. So you pay to get through my door, and you are going to get so much bang for your buck, you won't know what to do with it, besides come back for more. Oh, I almost forgot the employees. So my employees will be there to set up the games for you in advance, teach you the games if you don't know them, answer any questions you might have during the game, and even clean up after you. Also bring you snacks and drinks as needed. Game night will be 21 and over. It bugs me a little bit. I have a young son, and I would love to cater to families, but the challenge there is if I do want a on-site beer and wine sales license, it will have to be 21 and over because I will not be a bona fide eating place, meaning I will not have a kitchen and our food will be limited to snacks and cold food. And enough with the boring stuff. Let's talk about some news and what's going on. I was very excited to hear about the recent Barnes & Noble program for teaching board games. They're actually doing Wednesday night board game instruction. Their board games have been, uh, I would say, growing over the last three years, their inventory. I've seen more and more games there every year. And probably about three months ago now, they did a pilot program in 60 of their stores where their employees taught board games on Wednesday nights. 
a cool thing they added was little promos from publishers. So additional cool um, cards for certain games that were only only accessible at those game nights and other similar promotions to um, encourage people to show up. After their initial test run, it was so popular they've expanded it to all 650 stores. And the great thing is all these games are very, very much board gamery board games and you know more common board games as well, but all new and interesting modern board games. So I'm in general, I'm very pleased to see more and more titles coming to larger box retailers. That just means that the market's getting so much larger and more and more board gamers are joining into the community every day. And that's I've seen that consistent through Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us. Especially Toys R Us uh, last Christmas. I was incredibly surprised to see a lot of Fantasy Flight games there. And I mean, you know, heavy, crunchy stuff like uh, Netrunner and similar games. And I even heard that Games Workshop will be soon coming to a Toys R Us location near you, um, the producer of Warhammer 40K and their fantasy series as well. Other interesting news is publishers, starting with Fantasy Flight and followed closely by Yellow Games, have announced they are increasing their support to brick-and-mortar stores. Their goal there being that they understand that the brick-and-mortar stores are integral to bringing new gamers into the community and supporting the existing community. So the challenge there has been brick-and-mortar versus online sales. There's a little bit of controversy, I believe, over this last winter where Amazon had overbought a ton of stock and was selling board games on deep discount. So both Fantasy Flight and Yellow have come out with new policies where they're actually offering more discounted pricing, and I'm not too familiar with it, but potentially other um, incentives including uh, earlier access to newly released games. So brick-and-mortar stores will be able to get, you know, new title X, I think it's normally two weeks prior to um, online retailers. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but definitely there are gamers who want the latest and greatest and want their hands on it as soon as possible. So I hope that those are significant efforts to help brick-and-mortars. I absolutely see the challenge there, which is why I want to do something different with Game Night. So on the Kickstarter front, lots of things have been going on with Kickstarter. If anyone's not familiar with Kickstarter, just punch into Google right now, kickstarter.com. It's a crowdfunding webpage for all kinds of projects, whether it be video games, board games, art, movies, and even technology. Lots of amazing things on there. Kickstarter really grew up with the board game industry, and the presence on Kickstarter is astounding. The challenge there being that some companies use it as a pre-sale engine, a marketing engine, and other companies use it for what it's actually intended for, which is you know getting the upfront capital to make a project happen that wouldn't normally otherwise happen. So there's been plenty of controversy there, and some people love it, some people hate it, some people love to hate it. Bottom line is, it is what it is, and I think it's here to stay, for better or worse. That being said, Game Night is going to be backing Kickstarters because we absolutely want the latest and greatest and most high-quality board games. We are going to be as discerning as possible. We aren't just going to back the prettiest thing, the newest thing, 
we're going to back the kicks we believe are the most quality in terms of gameplay and aesthetics. That being said, I'm looking very much to Scythe coming in soon by Jamie Stegmeier, published by Stonemere Games. You can check out the Kickstarter page or retail is pegged in August 2016 right now. I'm also looking forward to The Others, Seven Sins by Guillotine Games and Studio McVeigh, and also Cool Mini or Not. It features amazing art by Adrian Smith and game design by the infamous, the famous, the amazing Eric Lang of Blood Rage, Chaos in the Old World, Arcadia Quest, Dice Masters, Quarriers, I believe Chaos Ball, and many, many other wonderful board games. Also, I have coming in the small and mighty Tiny Epic Western, published by Gameland Games, and expected to be in retail in October 2016. Beyond Kickstarters, there's a lot of awesome board gaming events. I wanted to highlight just a few. Hopefully coming soon on the horizon will be additional game night board game socials. We did our first one at Seven Stars, the Star Wars Bar, off Bascom Avenue in San Jose. Yes, that's right. It is a Star Wars-themed bar and restaurant. Their food is actually amazing, and it's a decent bar. Lots of local craft brews. I was lucky enough to team up. I was lucky enough to team up with Firestone Walker Brewing. They were generous enough to co-sponsor the event with Seven Stars, offering a buy a pint and keep the glass promotion. On tap was their Lupitonic Distortion Brew, which was very delicious. On the table were many games hosted from the Game Night Library, as well as some of our generous volunteers offering to teach people games. I think everyone had an awesome time. I'm very much looking forward to bringing additional Game Night socials to other venues in the South Bay area. Upcoming, I'm looking forward to several conventions that Game Night will be involved in. The first would be HadeCon. HadeCon is a fundraising convention. 100% of the proceeds go to TIKIY, the free TBHIV clinic in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. HadeCon will be held in San Francisco Friday, July 15th and Saturday, July 16th. HadeConSF.org or check them out on Facebook. Also coming up is Pacificon Game Expo hosted at the Santa Clara Marriott Hotel September 2nd through 5th. Pacificon will be a classic board game convention featuring all kinds of board games, RPGs, war games, seminars, panels, prizes, and more. Be sure to check out and support the Pacificon Protospiel Sponsored and hosted by Luke Laurie, part of the League of Game very Makers. active in the community and very active in promoting game design and development. They put out a lot of awesome content about game design and creating games. To learn more, check them out at leagueofgamemakers.com and also on Facebook. And that's about it for upcoming events. Thank you for listening to me ramble on about game night. Don't you worry, we have lots of amazing content coming your way. Hello? Is is this thing on? Where, where's the announcer? Hello, announcer guy. Sorry, you've got the wrong studio. The sports cast is down the hall, and the comedy station's two doors down.
What's this say in the show notes? Oh, it's it's time for a special guest. Oh, hi. Insert guest name here. Come on in. You're just in time. In the studio I have with me, Steve O'Brien. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for the games. Steve, I wanted to have you on tonight because you've actually been a regular member of my Friday night board gaming group. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, Yeah, we would pr- appreciate having you there. Um, let's get to that a little later. First, I want to ask you, um, how did you get into board gaming? Uh, I'd have to say that it's been, you know, over the years growing up, you know, it started with, with the simple Monopoly, the, the generic board games. But uh, once you started finding things like Omega Virus and uh, more interactive. Yes, Omega Virus! Shout out, Omegavirus. Big shout out. Uh, more interactive, where it wasn't just, you know, here's Scrabble. Uh-huh. So mostly playing with your family, like Risk at all, Monopoly, Chess. Yeah, we weren't Strategy the... cards, Bridge, Hearts. Uno, a lot of Uno. Uno, a lot of Uno. Yeah, got violent, as, as most <laughs> Vi- Uno violent. games do. Uh, Jenga. Jenga was in there as well. You know, Everyone says violent Uno, but that was never one of our family games, so I don't understand the violence part about it. It's, mm, yeah, yeah. It's usually Monopoly, where you, you lose <laughs> friends and, you know, it gets a little interesting. So when when did that move from those to even more modern games for you guys? Um, well, growing up, I was big into hands-on in general, you know, Legos, uh, Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys. So any game, you know, Mousetrap, anything else that involves... Yes, yes, Mousetrap! <laughs> ...involved building, which the modern version is not at all. Shouldn't be mentioned. That's that's interesting. So you're actually saying that the physicality of yes, it very really, hands-on in general. That's interesting because I I feel very much in the same vein. I mean, you know, Legos, cons- building with my hands. You know, I'm very into the, um, you know, miniature wargaming and modeling and all of that. And that's interesting. So you're saying for you, you liked the the real world physical tactile element of a board game. Yeah, absolutely. I would say when board games became less two-dimensional and actually physically more three-dimensional. My first question along those lines is, what about, like, dexterity games? Have you ever played a dexterity game? No. So, okay, let's just fast forward to now. What what kind of games are you playing now, your family? Currently, family is a little bit younger, so it's anything simple. You know, starting at Candyland and then... So your immediate family. Your, immediate family, yes. Your uh, wi- wife and daughters. Do you, wife play, and... do you play with your extended family at all? Uh, I do. My sister lives on the East Coast, so when we get together, we play, you know, I introduced her to Exploding Kittens, and uh, she introduced me to Sushi Go, which is a good card game. I've heard of it. But Immediate Family is more younger games right now, but I'm trying to introduce. I don't know if it's a good idea, but I'm introducing Uno and games Mm -hmm. that I played as a kid. So how would you describe yourself as a gamer? What type of gamer would you describe yourself as? So to be honest, before I started coming to Game Night, this uh, is this is not game night copyright. Yeah, this is yeah. Jordan's casual game night. That one. Uh, I actually didn't have a whole lot of game experience, so it was kind of fun. It still is fun that every time we play a game, but so far it's been brand new. So it's a little harder on the learning curve because I'm learning the game, but it's also so. You're saying you're the noob of the group. Absolutely. You keep calling yourself that now. I don't like that term now because that's been. Uh, how long have you been? Uh, board gaming with me on fridays uh it's been a while i try to come when i can you know scheduling has it, has and... it been like a year already i mean probably I feel like it's been a year already. probably yeah 
It also helps when you have bigger groups because... How did we meet? Did we meet at paint night at the hobby store? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Painting painting war game figures, and we've never played a war game together. Yeah, it was one of those, hey, by the way, on Fridays, we play some games. Do you play games? Yeah, I think I play well, games. Well, because you're a cool guy. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so game night, that's the thing, is that every game was new. And so... Okay, so coming from classic board games yes. to alternative, liking alternative board games... Eventually meeting Crazy Jordan and coming to his paint night, ending up in my board gaming group. So coming to Friday night board game nights, do you remember the first game we played? Yeah. It's a strange uh, question to ask, but for some reason I have a feeling you remember. One of the first was probably... Spoiler alert, Jordan doesn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it was either like Race for the Galaxy Really? We started you on Race for the yeah, Galaxy? Yeah, it was either that or the one before or after was uh, the Iceland, uh, the Arctic Scavengers. Arctic Scavengers? Yeah, Ooh. which that one I had never played anything like it. Yeah. So learning, the, like I said, learning the different styles of game, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that that wasn't the only game like it, right? What do you call them? Reskinned? So what, Steve, what Steve was trying to say is he means deck builders. And yeah. We'd asked you if you'd ever played deck builders. I think the answer was no. And so we, for some reason, threw Race for the Galaxy at you, which... One of those Often people of say is a little hard to pick up because of all the symbols, which is definitely true. But that being the case, it is intuitive. But it's one of those games where you're playing it and you're like, what the heck is going on? And then at the end of the game, you're like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> and then you have like a 10 minute discussion with the people you played with. And you're like, oh, OK, now it's making sense. And then it's fun. I think did we throw like lots of different types of games at you? Yeah, like Did we I switch said, it up like every week. Like, oh, for, here's a deck builder. Oh, here's a dice game. Oh, here's a drafting game. Here's I think a- so. Yeah, because towards the beginning, it was uh, we didn't play a single game twice <laughs> a week, which was okay. That's a that's a common problem of board gamers. That's a whole podcast okay. discussion all itself. But in my as it, coming at it from a noob, it was something new every single week, no matter what. Right. And I think we I think we atten- intentionally did that a little bit to see what you liked, maybe and putting that out there was there anything style wise that kind of you gravitated towards kind of resonated with you uh in general the deck builders seemed a little we played um i believe it was dc dc um, deck builder yeah dc deck builder where i was familiar with the universe but the whole idea of a deck builder in general i think that was probably one of the first deck building type games and everyone was like oh it's a deck builder and like i don't know i mean holding mm-hmm. a deck of cards i don't know what to do with these so learning through something that I'm familiar with, I'm a comic book fan, you know, Marvel and DC, it doesn't matter. But to see something you're familiar with and learn a different mechanic was was pretty fun. So I'd say deck builders. So we were talking about um, board gaming with your, your family and stuff. Yeah, so immediate family, wife and two kids. Uh, they're younger. My wife is not too big into games, so not so much there. I think that's also what sort of... Not, not pushed me out towards game night, but it was, I wanted to try this. I was not, I wasn't getting, well, home. Kudo, yeah. kudos to your wonderful, wonderful wife Absolutely. for allowing you the uh, opportunity and pleasure of joining us for game nights. Yeah, it's very, very selfless and supportive <laughs> of her. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my sister and brother-in-law over on the East Coast. And so it's not like we can get together and play something. So every time we see them at, you know, holidays or whatever, we try and say, hey, here's something that I can travel with. And let's try it out. So, for example, it was Exploding Kittens or Sushi Go. But on their end, they've been passing back uh, Flux. Or I, we actually just got them 
recently, uh, Boss Monster 2. And yeah, nice, nice. Um, Boss Monster 1 has quite a hit whenever I present it to, to newer gamers, especially if I'm targeting it towards uh, younger adolescent males. They <laughs> absolutely <laughs> tend to click with that one. I need to get Boss Monster 2. haven't tried it yet with any of the, uh, the new stuff there. Um, but I've, I've noticed that phenomenon. You mentioned you know giving games back and forth. Um, I think that that's, that's something that happens. You know, it's like you want to share it. So I've, I've seen that before where it's like that whole like exchanging of games thing and sharing of the discovery of new games. Absolutely. You've got to play, you've got to see this movie. You've got to try this game. You know, you got to, another example is one of the last game nights we did Sheriff of Nottingham and at, I used to play a lot of Liar's Dice and it's a very similar mechanic. So for Christmas, I actually asked for that. And so that's one of the games that tomorrow night at my game night a little mediocre game night i'm going to introduce almost everybody there to that game who i'm sure almost who's all of who's them, coming so my wife will be there my father-in-law my sister-in-law and a couple other friends and oh, nice a few i'm sure they've all played liar's dice they've all seen you know pirates of the caribbean where they have that one scene where he barters for his soul with mm-hmm. dice and so they, they know the concept so to see it in a board game it is you know a little two-dimensional but the whole concept of lying and you know you have to look each other in the eyes it depending on who you play with totally changes the game oh especially with um a game like that where there's the a lot of the game is the human interaction you know some games will be like oh there's a bidding mechanic and you're like uh, you know something like that is a, is a social mechanic and the enjoy the enjoyableness and the reward of that really depends on who you're playing with you mentioned uh, lying I was thinking a lot about lying in board games recently, actually, in the context of, uh, well, we did play the, the resistance. resistance. Yeah. The resistance. That was fun. And I didn't realize how, how simple it was. And it oh, was crazy simple. We played with quite we, a few people. Which is why it's so popular. I think a big part of that game in games in general, there's this interesting psychosomatic thing about them where one of the things people like about them is that you can, do things in a game that you're not allowed to do in regular social context. In a game, I'm allowed to betray you <laughs> and stab you in the back and take the victory from you hmm. or just be out for myself. And then in some hidden role games, you can be the spy in the background and be the one person who sabotages everything. Okay, so here's the real question. Do you consider yourself no longer a noob? Uh, I would say no, because I've played enough. Good, good, because every time you say that, I, I, I scowl at you. I'm like... <laughs> Awkward pause. No longer a noob. So, coming from the noob to the no longer noob, are there any ups and downs that you can think of? I would Some always of the say the, the learning curve. The learning curve? Yeah. Talk about the learning curve. That, oh, that's a great topic. So, learning curve, certain games obviously uh, make no difference where it's it's either easy or it's hard. So learning curve for me, it depends on the game, but it's when there's a more complicated game and it takes a little bit longer for me to learn, you know, midway through I may catch on, but it's at the very beginning when everybody else is like, oh yeah, you do this, this, and this. So, you know, it's a little intimidating because you're trying to figure it out as you're trying to figure out what to do. Has it, has it been challenging that we threw different games at you? Would you recommend to new gamers to play a game and then play it again? And then maybe think twice before playing a new game and actually play that other game a third time? I don't know. The way, the way I was introduced to most of these games, 
almost all of them were different styles. So I think it'd be good to get a wide range of styles before you go back to a specific game. So, so your recommendation to a new board gamer would be try a handful of different board games with different styles and flavors to try to feel what you like and then home in on that? Yeah, I would say the trick is to play with someone or a group of people that have played a specific game. So they're very... No problem explaining it. Absolutely, that's the that's the best situation to be in when, when at least one person totally knows the game and can explain it to everyone else. Yeah, uh, my biggest example is I was a big fan of I still am a big fan of the uh, Kickstarter for Exploding Kittens. I was behind it, you know, and it, and got to watch that grow. But every time I bring that to somebody, I get to explain the whole story, not only behind the game, but then you get to explain it, knowing exactly how to play, and it makes learning a little bit easier rather than learning the game. A little bit? Are you kidding me? Okay, <laughs> so for for new board gamers or for anyone who hasn't taught a board game, trying to read through the rules mm. and understand a board game can be difficult. With some rule sets, can be impossible. Some rule books are just terribly written. The real way to do it is to read the rules, play the game, then maybe you can teach the game. I've been into board games a long time now, and when I read through a rule book, I cut so much out mentally. It's like skip, 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 skip. Okay, that's important. Read that. So that explains a few house rules. I think. <laughs> so absolutely, the best way is to play with someone who's played and learn from someone who's played. They can present things in a more logical sequence. People, I think the biggest thing is people learn in very different ways. I have a very particular way I learn and I love to stop people and ask questions because if you don't answer my question I'm not gonna listen to whatever you say after that because my question needs to be answered before I can move on I agree I, I bottom feel line same, yeah. I, bottom line I'm encouraging people to learn from people who have already played the games or go on to YouTube and look for how to play videos or something like that which hopefully maybe I'll producing some of those in the future and alternately come to game night where we can help you learn new board games and you can meet people and make friends with people who already know how to play certain board games can learn from them so we're already running a little long let's wrap this up with some final thoughts here so for you looking forward what excites you about board games knowing what's out there and knowing what's to come I think if this is something we continue you know I I can explain I can introduce new games to my own group of friends and maybe they'll have the same experience I did, where they'll find something that we played and completely go off on their own, finding a new game and ex- introducing it to their friends. You're making me blush. <laughs> you're, you're carrying on the... Passing the torch. Yeah. Passing the torch. There you go. That's so cool. So, Steve, thank you so much for sharing all your personal and intimate board game juicy details. Thank you for being on tonight. Catch you next time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Game Night Nation podcast. For more great things board gaming, check out our Facebook page and sign up for the Game Night newsletter. Go to yourgamenight.com and click on Join Us. Announcer guide, what are you still doing here? Get out. I'm just here for the free food, and I thought we were talking about sports. There's free food, what? Oh, down the hall at the sportscasters, they have free food. That's what I'm waiting for. That's it, I've had it with you. Get out. Thank you so much for listening. This is Jordan Nichols sounding off. Hoping you had a wonderful experience, a fun time, 
some laughs, learn some new things, feel free to contact me directly at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N dot Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S at YourGameNight.com. This podcast and all its contents are protected by the Creative Commons license. Game Night and the Game Night Nation podcast are trademarks of Game Night Incorporated. 